Press Gallery, Edmonton Journal's politics podcast, the transitioning edition. My name is Sarah O'Donnell. I'm the journal's assignment editor, and I am here in the newsroom studio with three veteran members of the journal's politics team. They are provincial affairs reporter Miriam Ibrahim. Hello. And city columnist Paula Simons. Hello, Sarah. And senior reporter Sheila Pratt. Lovely to be here. Thanks for coming in, everybody. It is a Friday afternoon that we are recording on May 15th, and it's been more than a week since Albertans embraced the idea of an NDP government at the ballot box. And this week, we're going to talk about how that transition is going how the different parties have responded to this dramatically reshaped legislature, and what's coming next. So let's start with transition just very briefly. How would you all describe the last seven days in the great power shift of 2015? I I would say um, the great power shift is plodding along slowly uh, as people try to sort of get their bearings because it, it is a really strange sort of limbo period, right? We've got an incoming government that's trying to figure out how to get things moving, how to get things rolling. And we've got an outgoing government that's really entrenched, has been there for uh, a really long time. And so it's it's like a brave new world out there and people are really just sort of slowly plodding along. We don't have a lot of details yet about how the transition is unfolding. We don't know things like when the swearing-in ceremony will be for Premier-designate Notley. We don't know when her MLAs will be sworn in. We don't know yet who is going to be in her cabinet. So there are still a lot of questions lingering more than a week later. And it's probably something that Albertans are not used to because previously we've seen, uh, obviously, transitions in government, but they have been within the same party. And so it's usually the same Premier before and after election and things are a lot smoother as a result, even even you know with their appointments of transition teams and that sort of thing. Has everybody moved out of the offices yet, of their old offices? No, that process continues as well. I mean, uh, there's been a moving company parked at the legislature since election day, and uh, so I sort of take a walk through the legislature hallways um, every day while I'm there to sort of just get a get a sense of what's going on. And certainly, there are still people that are packing up their offices. Uh, I saw the, the moving uh, guys in, in one of the MLA offices on the fifth floor of the legislature uh, yesterday, in fact, when I was giving a couple of our interns a tour of the building. So they are still slowly moving out. Uh, and it is a very, very long sort of drawn out process. It's a very difficult time for people who are caught up in the middle of that, because the previous government is still the government. I mean, Gordon Dirks is still the education minister. Stephen Mandel is still the health minister. And so agencies like Alberta Health Services, like school boards across the province, have been really confused that Gordon Dirks had issued a directive before the election telling all the boards that they had to make major cuts to their uh, budgets and that they had to have their completed budgets submitted by the end of this month. And even though he was defeated and his government was defeated and the budget was never passed. It was like a zombie that just kept walking along. The boards had no other direction. And it was really confusing for everybody because Rachel Notley is not the premier. She did not have the power to overturn Dirks's order. And so later after I wrote a column explaining what a bizarre situation this was, uh, Rachel Notley had to go to executive council and ask the civil service to give her the power to extend the board's deadline for a month to file their budgets. So this is a weird kind of interregnum, as Miriam says, we have no template for this kind of transition of power. And so it's not just a question of getting people moved into their offices, it's a question of, you know, what what do all of these other 
agencies that are dependent on governments for funding do now while they wait to figure out what happens next. Yeah, Sheila, you had a really interesting conversation, it sounded like, for, at least from the story that I read with Richard Discerny, who is the, the top civil servant in Alberta. Tell us a little bit more, remind us exactly what his job is and what he said about how the civil service prepared for all of this transition and, and how they are helping the new incoming government. Yes, I thought it was a fascinating glimpse behind the scenes, which which leads me to think that the, the reappointment of Discerny, it's also been a week of sending out reassuring signals that we're not going to throw out baby with bathwater. They kept on the chief civil servant that Prentice had brought in for very good reason. He's worked for many different kinds of governments, NDP, Liberal and Tory, and is very experienced. And he told me that in the whole last week of the campaign, they were watching the campaign very closely. They realized things were turning. They first made preparations for a minority government of either party, could have been NDP or Tory, when they realized they needed to address transition issues. And that's what their job is. And they identified things like the school board issue early on as these are decisions you're going to have to face very quickly. Uh, and there are other decisions out there that they identified. So it was it was a very interesting, it's, it's true, it's a very odd limbo period. He also said that it's not necessarily particularly long here, though it seems that way that when Mike Harris took over after the Bob Ray government in Ontario, again, another major change of government, it took about three weeks. I think he was elected the June the 5th and he was sworn in the 20th. So it does take a little bit of time. People need to read briefing books, figure out what they're going to do and look at a cabinet. Notley has been building up her staff though, right? Uh, Miriam, can you tell us some of the, the, chain, the additions that we've seen? It seems like the team is coming together. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, she, she has named uh, several people to her transition team now. We now know that Brian Topp, who is a, a federal NDP strategist. He ran uh, unsuccessfully for the federal NDP leadership a few years back. That's the race that Thomas Mulcair won. He's been involved with the party for a long time. He's been um, behind the scenes of various campaigns, both successful and not successful. So she's brought Brian Topp in as, as her chief of staff. As well, he's going to be serving on the transition team, obviously. Anne McGrath, as well, who's um, with the federal NDP, is also going to be serving on the transition transition team. And she's also tapped uh, from BC the chief of staff to the NDP caucus there, uh, John Heaney, who's going to be here working on transition until at least uh, July 2015. He's on a leave of absence from his job there. You know, it's it's so it's really interesting. I think we'll now that we've seen uh, today, of course, the. Uh, final results from Elections Alberta have come out and that sort of kicks off the next period of, you know, allowing for judicial recounts and that sort of thing. But I think we're going to see things sort of begin to pick up more quickly now. I think um, a lot of the the issues that we've seen in terms of the slow transition have been a result of the fact that there are sort of two premiers really uh, uh, existing in the province right now. And I think once that swearing in ceremony happens, things can sort of begin to fall into place. And, you know, Rachel Notley will have the authority she needs to to make the calls and the orders that she needs to do in order to get things off the ground. I will say one thing, though, that was interesting to me. Um, I read a piece in the Globe and Mail a little while ago that included a... Um an interview with a with an academic who had done some research about the previous transition in government in 1971 that saw power change hands before between parties, and at that time he said it actually took a full three years for the for the Lougheed government <laughs> to really get, find its bearings. Yeah. Um. You know, I don't think we're going to have that situation now. Uh. Certainly, but you know, when when you're changing parties, um, and and transferring power between parties in that way, you know it. There, it is going to be a challenge because this is totally unprecedented. We don't have anything to compare it to. It was kind of a weird week to think about as I was trying to plot out what we would talk about this week. Was there a defining moment for you guys or a big event? What is anyone have a favorite moment that you'd like to contemplate? 
you went to a pretty interesting press conference, Miriam, with the privacy commissioner and the in public interest commissioner. Certainly, yeah. Um, the the shredding of government documents has received a lot of attention, obviously, not just here in Alberta, but across the country, frankly. Um, and yeah, it was a pretty interesting press conference. Uh, we talked about this last week. They've been you know, clear plastic bags full of basically confetti lining the hallways of the legislature. Photographers have been taking photographs of these bags being carted away from the legislature. We've seen shredding trucks arriving and, and departing from the legislature as well. And again, because we don't have anything to compare this to, nobody really knows if this is the right amount of shredding or, you know, too much shredding or not enough shredding because, of course, some documents should be shred. Um, but what has happened now is a whistleblower has um, contacted the Office of the Public Interest Commissioner to report um, what they believe to be is allegations of improper shredding of government documents in Alberta environment and sustainable resource development. And Jill Clayton, the Privacy Commissioner, also received some letters of concern, as she called them, one of which specifically named Alberta environment as well. And so as a result, they've now launched an unprecedented joint investigation into um, that department and into the shredding of documents and destruction of documents in that in that ministry, with the potential for it to be expanded to other ministries if they find the evidence um, warranting that. And as a result of this investigation, Rachel Notley has, um, again, sort of had to go to executive counsel and go to Richard Discerny to say, we're going to, out of a, an abundance of caution, order the, the immediate halt of any other shredding. And so at this point, the shredding has stopped. The, yeah, the leading has stopped. That we know of. I, well, I, and, and this is the weird thing. I mean, Rachel Notley actually has no power to order the shredding stopped. Brian Jean, the Wild Rose leader, was like, why didn't she order this shredding stopped earlier? Well, because she's not the premier yet. Surely she has some moral authority, though. That yes, when she, speaks, she, she clearly could go to the... And let's remember that the morning before that shredding story broke, she'd had her meeting with Jim Prentice, right. who pledged to be very cooperative. What can I do for you? And I think who looks bad on this is is Prentice. It's quite an interesting moment for the, the last days of his regime. Well, we talked about this last week. Yeah. I admit none of the... Pan Sheila, you weren't here, but the, the rest of the panelists, and we didn't seem super concerned about this as an issue because there is some shredding of, you know, personal documents, things like that, that is just you know something you do to protect yeah. people's privacy and that some sort things of thing. are supposed some things are actually required to be destroyed i mean there are there are rules set out for for this type of thing and some of them dictate that some documents need to be destroyed that is you know a requirement that is that is proper records management um the question is whether or not the rules were communicated properly to staff and whether the staff were actually following well that. i'd like to hear about those rules too they've been not very forthcoming on what exactly they are it just underlines how weak the legislation that jill clayton has to run her office is i mean jill clayton is the information and privacy commissioner she doesn't have the power to go in and supervise. She doesn't have the power to order it stopped. It's it's fascinating, and I mean, one of one of the many thousands of challenges that the new premier will face is to figure out how we amend our privacy legislation uh, and our access to information legislation to actually give Clayton's office the teeth it needs to protect both our freedom of information and our privacy. Well, I also think that, that it raises an issue about just about the civil service. While we've certain at certain levels, it's very professional. Richard Discerny has said he's impressed with how professional it is. Who's actually on the ground doing that shredding and who called and said, do it? And I guess that's what the investigation is going to try and find out if they're... It why this is going on and what's been going on. Yeah, absolutely. And remember, I mean, every piece of paper exists electronically somewhere, right? If you printed it, yeah, you had it on a machine somewhere. Mm -hmm. um, and so, yeah, I mean, it, it's going to, they both did say they have the power to compel the production of records. So if a piece of paper was destroyed, but there's a backup of it somewhere, um, you know, on a server somewhere, they have the power to compel them to provide that electronic file. But 
handwritten you know, notes and I, stuff though might be more difficult yeah, exactly be, I, I mean it depends it depends on what we're, we're calling transitory documents which are the only things that are supposed to be actually destroyed and yeah. I don't think there's a really good definition within the rules of what is transitory it's it very in, it's really open to interpretation do we have a sense of when this is going to be when this when the investigation of these allegations and we should stress that at this point they are yeah. allegations is going to be completed oh I think it'll be a long time I mean both of those offices are uh, frankly ill uh, under resourced yeah. and overworked and under Funded. They are. They already have also ongoing investigations that have been going on for quite a while as well. So at this point, it could be months up to a year. I mean, it, it, for it to be a year would not surprise me in the least. Well, how do you think Rachel Notley has handled the hot seat so far? I mean, she is it, that is an issue she's had to deal with, as you talked about. She's also handled the had to deal with school board issues. First impressions, anybody? Well, I think she's been fairly quick off the mark. I mean, the school board story, you know, it ran on our front page Monday morning and within hours they had an announcement saying, you know, the school boards shouldn't worry that new enrollment will be funded and that they have a month-long extension. Again, with the shredding, you know, Brian Jean, as I mentioned, was concerned that she didn't act swiftly enough, but she did act, I think, you know, once she understood what the scope of her powers was to stop the shredding. So I think so far she's had a pretty good first week. She spent a lot of time clearly dealing with the business community and the oil patch trying to reassure people there, but also still trying to send positive messages to people about what her agenda is going to be going forward. I think, you know, her to-do list uh, makes me feel slightly sick to my stomach when I think of everything that she that she has to juggle. Training day, the new MLAs were in. What was that like? Um... It was awesome. Really? I Tell thought, us about it. I thought it was really awesome. For you awesome. too? Uh, yeah. It, I mean, yeah. Yeah, I'm sure it was awesome for those MLAs too. But I thought it was really great. Um, it was fantastic. It was really, it was a really good primer for a lot of these MLAs who are obviously um, entering a brand new role, um, you know. I mean, uh, 70, 70 out of 87. S absolutely. This is now a very... Including, including Wild very, Rosers. Yeah, yeah. A absolutely. Well, including yep. two party and leaders, Greg Clark and Brian Jean. This is a very green legislature in terms of people who have had experience uh, as an MLA. And it is. Um, it was really interesting to watch Speaker Jean Zwazdeski, who's going to be outgoing and, and will be replaced with a new speaker in short order. It was really fascinating to sort of watch. This was really like an introduction to government, really a primer for folks talking about the fact that we have a Westminster system, the fact that it's rooted in tradition that is very uh, old, um, you know, the fact that we have these, um, you know, large books full of procedure that House leaders and deputy House leaders are going to have to study up on, um, you know, the fact that government is made up of, of the premier and her cabinet and everyone else's private member. Like this was a very, very high level basic primer on what it's like to be an MLA what it's like to perform in the legislature and and really it is really a performance and then they also sort of got brief introductions to to officers of the legislature like the auditor general for example what does the auditor general do the ethics commissioner the privacy commissioner wow um, and that really this, is like a back to you know super basics. absolutely this is it was like a civics 101 lesson for these folks and it was really fascinating i had a really great time because it's not very often that the <laughs> media get to go into the legislature on the legislature floor and actually take in the setting um, as it were you know on budget days and things it's usually just photographers and camera people that get to go in there so that was really fun uh, for me and um, it, but yeah it was really fascinating to sort of watch them all and uh, you know I, it was funny I was watching and there was one of the MLAs was sitting in, in the seat that the premier would normally sit in and I thought oh I wonder if he realizes <laughs> where he's sitting right now. Sheila after a week of 
relative silence from the progressive conservatives. There would have only been, I guess, one of them at the training day. There was only one new PC Richard Godfrey, yeah, from LA. But but other progressive conservatives, old and new, were were suddenly talking. To, can you tell us a little bit about what former Premier Ed Stalmack had to say and what his take was on what happened to his party? Well, it was very interesting because after many years of silence, he finally decided to speak out. And it was a very insightful interview. I mean, he just basically said the party had moved too far to the right, abandoning that middle place. He pointed specifically to the takeover of the Wild Rose, which he people saw was um, kind of anti-democratic, showed how far to the right they were going. They were especially upset about... Uh, about Danielle Smith abandoning her responsibilities as official opposition leader. And he had a, a myriad of other things to say, including, you know, volunteers weren't turning out. The other thing that really bothered people was the charitable donation, that he didn't do anything to restrict charitable donations to political parties, but he did to charities. And I guess the right. number yeah, of those yeah, things yeah, that we all that, know really bothered was, people. That and was Stelmax. Intro- I mean, it was Stelmax that, that brought, brought that in. in. Yeah, exactly. Brought in the, the enhanced credits yeah. for charity yeah. donations. So I, I, th- I thought it was very insightful because he's, um, people need to remember the last time the Tories got a great Stelmac won was 71 seats that was a very big majority then he got over 50% 52% of the popular vote and Redford got a 61 seat majority by managing to move the party to the center left again with that coalition etc that coalition was totally abandoned those people stayed home and Jim Prentice paid or they, the price or they voted NDP they voted yeah. NDP yeah. actually yeah. 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 according mostly to voted NDP yesterday. sorry yeah, I stand corrected they yeah. mostly it, voted NDP um, as we've said before. So anyway, it was an interesting point he made, which I thought was a great contrast with the article by Preston Manning in The Globe this week that said <laughs> those PEC administrators in Edmonton, as if they weren't Tories from Calgary, you know, wrecked the party. I missed that. Oh, yeah. So you get Preston Manning's pieces. It's, maybe, it's not my good stuff, but we should add it to our good it's stuff. It's my good stuff. Oh, okay. Okay. It's my good right. stuff, yes. Well, you know, the other thing, the other thing that Stelmax said to Sheila, which I thought was fascinating, remember, the reason he's no longer the Tory leader is that he got forced out of his own party because of his royalty review. Yes. Um, and he said, speaking of Rachel Notley's pledge to have a royalty review, view that he thinks that she should go ahead with that and that was her promise and she should stand by it and it's very interesting because you know if they hadn't knifed Ed Stelmack in the back would they still be in power we'll never know interesting question yes interesting question yes (laughs) because they wouldn't have a deficit for instance if they kept the royalties the rates he wanted (laughs) is that what we would use our time machine for really people come out i I will say one thing that was just as a from the editor's perspective i mean for all the criticism ed stalmack gets people sure read that story holy smoke so many people read that story and it went on for a couple days people were clicking wanting to read what ed stalmack had to say people in edmonton liked ed stalmack the calgary pc party elite didn't like ed stalmack the oil patch didn't like ed stalmack but even you know when ed stalmack was forced from office i think people in our readership zone had a lot of respect for him and i think to see him finally break his silence i mean sheila got that was a major coup on Sheila's part to get that interview because he's been very courtly and very polite about not dissing his own party. Yeah, he has been very careful about it. How, how did you? How did you get that interview? Just, just you, you have him on your dialogue. You no, know, I, I do. I was just said we need some follows, and I said okay, I'll try this guy. That's and right. <laughs> and he, this time he said okay, I'll talk. It was very good. I got him at lunch at home. I'm sure he was home with Marie. <laughs> okay, that's fantastic. 
other progressive conservatives were also speaking Thursday night in Calgary. <laughs> Miriam, none, none of us were there, but I'm sure you were following what our colleagues at the Calgary Herald were I reporting. Was, I was. Can, can you give us just a brief summary of what who was who was speaking at the PC leaders' dinner last night and and what they seemed what they said according well, to reports? Well, the current interim leader was oh. speaking, um, Eric McIver, as well as the former leader Jim Prentice, who resigned in stunning fashion on election night. Yeah, I, I mean he they really said that they've, they've heard, you know, they, that the message was received from voters um, and that they're going to go forward. Jim Prentice actually said that he uh, is going to carry the weight of, of this loss on his shoulders for the rest of his life. Um, I think certainly if he doesn't carry it there, people are going to put it there because of just the way things unfolded uh, over the last seven or eight months. Um, but certainly, you know, a, a bit of a contrite sort of message and a, and a message that they, that the, that the, Albertans spoke and that they obviously received the message. I mean, I don't know how you wouldn't receive a message after losing 60 seats like that. Uh, um, but uh, certainly it seems like the party is trying to sort of as a get its bearings and sort of try to figure out how to move forward. Well, that's a long road to hoe, I must say. I mean, no other party in, hi in the Alberta's history has, has come, come back, back from that kind of well, thing. And, and also, the question is going to be, where is the money going to go? Yeah, I mean, I just can't imagine the Alberta oil patch down in Calgary is going to start pumping money back into them. And, you know, if Rachel Notley passes with the Wild Rose support, some kind of legislation exactly. that says no more corporate donations, they are going to have a very hard time. Which they campaigned on. The NDP and the Wild Rose both yes. campaigned on, yes. you know, eliminating union and corporate donations from... Uh, politics and and from from political parties. So if that does happen, um, that's a that's a really big question for how the PCs go forward in terms of fundraising because we've we've reported a lot that they they depend a lot on those big donors, those corporate donors. They struggle a lot more with those smaller donors. Yes. Um, you know the Wild Rose does a lot better with that, and so it'll be interesting to see. Uh, how the PC party sort of is able to con contend with that if that ends up happening sooner rather than later. And I do think this chit-chat about Wild Rose and, and Tories uniting is a little on the premature side. What possible motivation does the Wild Rose have yeah, for making a deal with the there's Tories? There's no motivation at this point. I, no, it's I, not, you, can't, you can't overcome the majority. And also I think that the floor crossings, my sense, and I think certainly the election sort of demonstrated this to a certain extent, the... The Tories and the Wild Rose, those the people at in the base of both of those parties, certainly at least the people in the Wild Rose, they are entrenched. The, like the divide is deep now after what happened with the way that the the floor crossings unfolded, uh, and I think it will take some time if that uh, is ever going to be bridged in a in a sturdy way. Yeah, I was going to ask what's next, like what do we know is coming in the next week, but I really feel like we don't know. We're still waiting on the dates, as as you all discussed at the beginning about when is the swearing-in going to be, yeah. when are we going to hear the new cabinet, and we normally do like to look as forward as possible in this podcast, but it's hard to know. But there is some news on the, the greenhouse gas emissions front, something that the government, this is a breaking story from Friday, that the go provincial government will have to deal with as well. Sheila, can you brief us on what the federal government has announced today that is going to suddenly uh, present Rachel Notley with the whole range of issues. Well, the federal government announced new targets for reducing greenhouse gases. There's no regulations on how to get there, but they said we will reduce it by 30 percent over uh, 2005 levels. And this is all in preparation for the Paris climate change talks that happen in December. So they, they had to produce something that's part of the UN requirements. It's just unclear how that's going to be achieved. There's no regulations on the oil and gas sector, which is the main sector in Canada where greenhouse gas emissions are, of course, growing and have grown so much they've offset 
the reduction in greenhouse gas from the elimination of coal plants in many provinces. So it's going to be very difficult. She has put out through her um, press secretary, Cheryl Oates, just a very bland statement saying, you know, we will work with the federal government on these issues, not committing to it. Environmentalists are already kind of unhappy because there's no regulations to say how we get there. It's not clear that this is even adequate um, uh, to meet what we need to do to not go above two, two degrees warming, etc. So she'll have to come up with that soon. Apprentice, uh, obviously the bureaucracy had already been working on a greenhouse gas strategy that was supposed to come out at the end of June if Prentice had won. She's going to have to pick that up and I'm sure she's already looked at the blue book about that. She'll be putting her, her modifications in place and I think we'll have to see something fairly soon. My final question, Paula, if you were Rachel Notley, would you be happy that the federal government had uh, announced this new target or would you be uh, concerned that they They've just dropped something in your lap so early in your administration. Well, I mean, I think the big challenge that she's going to face throughout her tenure is to balance the concerns of the oil patch with concerns of environmentalists. And I've already seen people on Twitter excoriating the NDP for not doing more on the environment. It's like, oh, my gosh, they just got elected last Tuesday. Give them a second here. So this is going to be a huge portfolio issue for her. I'm not sure that this federal announcement means much of anything. I mean, this is yet another federal announcement for targets that we're yet again have no method to hit. I think that she's going to be better off trying to manage things at home than trying to figure out how to march in lockstep with Stephen Harper. Well, for those of you not planning what you're going to wear to a swearing-in party or putting wagers on cabinet <laughs> posts, let us conclude quickly with good stuff from the gallery, our weekly segment where we share something we've enjoyed reading, watching, or listening to that often, but not always, has a political connection. Paula, would you care to start us off? Yes, uh, I will not be talking about Preston Manning because she was going to talk about Preston Manning. I'm going to uh, recommend that people read a really remarkable piece from The Economist, uh, the May 2nd edition. It's an obituary of the Pakistani uh, civil rights activist Sabine Mahmood, who was assassinated by probably by the Taliban. Nobody's taking credit for it. But uh, it's a beautifully written piece about her and her life and one of the things that's extraordinary about it is that it's written with such mordant black humor and uh, so it's a beautiful piece of writing about a remarkable woman and a really important place in the world okay thank you paula Sheila, you you gave us a sneak preview. I did, a sneak preview. I think we should all read Preston Manning's piece in The Globe uh, this week, which talked about, just if you want insights into, you know, where the right is hoping to go, yearning to go, I can't see it actually going, and with this strange interpretation that, you know, the Edmonton administration was the source of all problems and that we need to get back to conservation and environmental things, which, of course, none of which have happened in the last five years since Ed Stelmack of Tory government. So it's a very interesting piece to have a look at. It's a fascinating piece about Rachel Notley's victory, which never uses the words Rachel Notley ever, not once. That that was what I put that out on Twitter yesterday. I don't have a good stuff this week, but I'm going to second Sheila's because I think everyone should just read it because it was such an interesting. I put it out on Twitter because I noticed right away that he takes great pains not to ever name Rachel Notley by name. The new premier, (laughs) the incoming premier, the new premier, she, her. It's very bizarre. But what is also not mentioned in that piece is the floor crossings, which we know he had a hand in. That's right. That is he helped to orchestrate. No, and I know he was totally in favor of this and it was just that. That was the the part that I thought was really, yeah, as soon as I put it out on Twitter, that was what people immediately said back to me. And, you know, it's true because as I said earlier, I think the floor crossings had a lot to 
to do with the way the election unfolded. Although my favorite part of the whole piece is when he said, you know, this would be just as absurd as having the stampede run by the people from the Toronto International Film Festival. <laughs> yes. And I thought I would go to see a stampede. Run by the people from the Toronto <laughs> of course you would. Bulls on red carpets, as I think yes. someone quipped. <laughs> well, then my good stuff from the gallery, I think, makes a good companion piece to that because I'm going to recommend a, a piece that was written in the National Post by Brock Harrison, who many people, listeners, will know as uh, one of the Wild Rose directors of communication, that he wrote a piece that's called Danielle Smith's Revisionist History, and he reviews uh, what actually happened during those floor crossings. And, and I think he, he's writing this because Danielle Smith certainly has become a, a, a prominent voice post-election. She's been doing a lot of commentary. And uh, so it was very interesting to read this piece from uh, Brock's perspective. So I recommend that, and we'll put up the links. And that is it. Thank you, Miriam, Paula, and Sheila for coming in and for uh, joining me in the studio. And thanks to videographer Ryan Jackson for capturing this conversation for a video clip. You can uh, watch that on edmontonjournal.com. We'll post a, a segment from our talk. And if you want to connect us with us via Facebook, we're on the Journal's Facebook page and all on Twitter. You can hear previous episodes of our podcast on edmontonjournal.com on the opinion section, slash opinion, or through the Journal SoundCloud feed. We're also on iTunes and TuneIn Radio, so subscribe. And every Saturday, Saturday, the press gallery will be there. I will be away next week, so my colleague Keith Gerine will be stepping in as host, so please join Keith and other members of the Journal's Awesome Politics team in the press gallery.